we are going to continue our study through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. This is a, a study we're calling Steps of Faith, and it, it's a look at the different faith examples that are given in the book of Hebrews, or in this particular chapter of the book of Hebrews. Every one of the stories in Hebrews chapter 11 that we'll look at in the course of this study is an example of faith. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38 declares that the just shall live by faith. And what we see unfold in this chapter are examples of what that looks like. What does it look like to live by faith? The first example of faith that we encounter is Abel, whose faith compelled him to offer a more excellent sacrifice unto God. Reading from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the great grace of God. Lord, as we come together in this house on a Sunday morning, I'm asking, Lord, you allow your word to speak in our hearts and let it challenge us and let it change us, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. I'm going to try my best not to... Uh, be up here too awful long this morning. I've got one cough drop in my mouth, and I don't know how long I can last once it runs out. Sometimes my wife asks me if it's a one Jolly Rancher sermon or a three Jolly Rancher sermon, and I tell her sometimes it's a four Jolly Rancher sermon, but I'm going to try to make it a one cough drop sermon today. Is that okay? Now, if you see me reaching in my pocket for reinforcements, then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> All right, so faith dictated the way that Abel worshipped God. As a result of the fact that he worshipped God in faith, two things happened. First of all, God testified that he was righteous. And secondly, the example of his faith continues to preach to us today, even long after he's dead. So today we're going to hear a sermon from a dead man that yet speaketh that's what the scripture says so the story of Cain and Abel is told in Genesis chapter 4 and if we're going to fully understand the example of faithfulness that Abel represents and we got to go back to the Old Testament and take a closer look at that story so we're going to open up Genesis chapter 4 and kind of let it unfold before us this morning it begins this way in Genesis 4 and 1 and Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said I have gotten a man from the Lord. So after the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve are removed from the presence of God, they conceived a son. And when he was born, they gave him a name, Cain. Now, Cain is a pretty simple name. In the Hebrew, it simply means to get. So Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. But there may be more significance to the name than just to get. If you'll remember, because they had sinned, Adam and Eve had been driven from the presence of God. But before they left the garden, there was a promise given to them in Genesis chapter 3 
and verse 15, the Lord told them, he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, talking about the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there was a promise given as they were leaving the garden that the woman would have a child or a woman would have a child who would bruise the head of the serpent. So even as God's acting in judgment against their sin, he shows them mercy. Before he banishes them from the garden, he gives them a promise that there will be a woman who will bear a son and that son will crush the serpent's head and bring about a reconciliation, the very restoration of the fellowship with God that they've lost in the garden. Amen? So Satan had brought about the forfeit of man, the fall of man, and God promised that he would... That, that, that there would be a man that would come that would bring about the fall of Satan. Now, I'm quite certain that that promise gave Adam and Eve some hope. However, I'm not so certain that they fully understood the longevity of it. What was going to transpire was going to transpire over thousands of years. As a matter of fact, it's very likely that when she became pregnant... They assumed that this was the fulfillment of that prophecy. This was the one who would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. They probably expected a restoration of fellowship with God in their lifetime. And so another way to translate the name Cain is he is here. It means that he has arrived. And the name may signify that they thought that this was the promised seed. This was the one that had been prophesied about. This is the one who would be able to put the head of Satan under his heel and bruise it. Of course, as you and I know, the opposite turns out to be true. Cain turns out to be a murderer. Amen? But that's getting ahead of the story. Genesis chapter 4 verse 2 says, And she bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And again, Abel is a very interesting name to give a child. It simply means breath. It is a metaphor, used as a metaphor in Scripture, for brief or even weak. And sometimes his name is translated that way, brief. And so though Adam and Eve couldn't have known it, they gave Abel a very fitting name because his life was destined to be brief. Here we also discover their occupations. Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain, on the other hand, was a tiller of the ground. Bear with me. I'll do my best. Amen. So they, they, these are two brothers with widely different interests and pursuits, but the reason why we're looking at this story is that there's more that distinguishes them than just their hobbies. There's more that distinguishes them than just the things they like to do. Abel was distinguished by his brother in one very significant way. He had genuine faith. And so now we come to the part of the story where the great faith of Abel was demonstrated, and we learn right away that this is an obedient kind of faith. Watch this, Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. 
So before we look at the reason why this is an act of faith, let's kind of back up a little bit and get a, a full picture of what's going on. In regard to the act of worship that is described here, there, there are some components to it that I think are very interesting. First of all, there was a place, a place where it was ordained that God was to be worshipped. They, they brought an offering to the Lord at a common place. They, they, they had to have been at a place that was designated by God. It was a place where those who had been driven from his presence could still come and through their worship meet with God. You could say it was the very first mercy seat. There was a place that was established where blood would be applied, where mercy would be given. Amen? It can also be surmised that just like there was an appointed place for worship, there was also an appointed time for worship. We don't know exactly when it was, but God is a God of order. And just as surely as he gave them a place to meet him, and Cain and Abel show up at the same place to offer sacrifice, that's not an accident. Amen? And just as surely as he gave them a place to meet him, he also would have given them a time, a specific time, to offer their sacrifice. The scripture hints at that when it says in the process of time they came to offer their sacrifice to God. Both boys on the same day at the same place. Uh, that didn't happen randomly. Which leads us to the third observation. There was a place and there was a time, and there was a right way to worship God. Worship wasn't a shot in the dark. Sacrifice wasn't some kind of blind guess. It wasn't, well, let's go to the altar and see what God will like. God had left some kind of instruction with Adam and Eve concerning worship and sacrifice and mercy and the need for a blood covering. And there had been a correct way of worship established. We know that because the scripture says that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice by faith. And the word of God says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord, or word of God. So somewhere God spoke a word, and that word was passed down to Cain and Abel, and instructions were given regarding a place of worship, a time of worship, and a means of worship. There was a right way to worship God. But what separates Abel from Cain is that he believed and obeyed what he heard. His faith in the word of God was what compelled him to offer the right sacrifice. He brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Abel knew exactly what it took to please God. He knew exactly what it took to obtain mercy from God, to be declared righteous by God. And because he did it right, not because he was a good guy, not because there was something inherently righteous about him, but because he brought the right sacrifice and worshiped God the way God said to worship him, the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But Cain, on the other hand, Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering unto the Lord. And one might ask, what's, what's wrong with that? Abel brought the best of his flock, and Cain brought the best of his field. But both boys brought the best of their possession. But that's not the point. 
One of the boys came to God on God's terms, bringing God the sacrifice that God required. The other, in his arrogance, said, I will meet God on my own terms. I will decide how to serve God. I will decide what I think is the best sacrifice. I'll decide what I think God should accept. And God's just going to have to be okay with that because that's all I'm willing to do. God better be satisfied with the portion of my life that I'm willing to surrender to him because that's all he's going to get. I'm going to tell you something right now this morning. God isn't interested in a timeshare in your heart where rebellion and faithfulness reign through the week, but you open up a few rooms for him on Wednesday and Sunday. You, you don't come to God on your own terms. You don't come to God according to your own plan. With God, it's everything or nothing. With God, he's Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. Can I get an amen? So the difference between Cain and Abel is faith. By faith, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It, it was better because it was blood. It was better because it was what was required. It was better because it was the foreordained sacrifice for sin. It was better because it was a result of obedience to the word and will of God. It was an act of faith. Amen? Abel came to God in the way that God prescribed Cain, on the other hand, didn't do that. He didn't believe that he needed to bring a blood sacrifice. Uh, though, though it had been established by the word of God, though the, the testimony had been passed down, he's heard the same word that Abel has heard, but he thought he could approach God on his own terms. The bigger issue here is that Cain didn't acknowledge the need for atonement. The whole point in sacrifice is to obtain a blood covering for sin. And these boys understood the concept of atonement because many times they would have heard the story of how when God came and found Adam and Eve in the garden in their sinful state and they were hiding from him, how God slew an animal and he covered Adam and Eve in those bloody coats that he put a blood covering over them and they had been told many times by their parents that the only thing that can cover sin is blood and they knew that they needed atonement they knew that they were sinners by inheritance from Adam and Eve they knew that they needed blood to cover that sin they had been taught that they had been told that that's the whole reason why they came to this place of worship was to seek mercy from God but apparently Cain refuses to recognize his need for repentance. Abel comes with a blood sacrifice. And he, he determines that I'm a sinner and I need a blood covering. I'm a sinner. And if I'm going to find the mercy and grace of God, something's got to die. Amen? But Cain didn't acknowledge his sin. Cain did not acknowledge the need for a blood sacrifice or for atonement. He thought he could approach God without sacrifice, without atonement. Come to God on his own terms. Bring God what he wanted to bring to God. Jude, and, and Jude only has one chapter, but verse 11, Jude calls this the way of Cain. It's a way that leads 
to death. It's a way that leads to separation from God. It is the arrogant idea that I can dictate what God will have to accept from me in terms of sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, you can't come to God on your own terms. You don't get to decide what God will and will not accept from you. There's only one way to come to God, and that's through the cross. Uh, amen. It comes to the blood of the Lamb. Uh, there's only one way to come to God, uh, and that's through Jesus Christ, uh, the perfect Lamb of God uh, who was crucified for the sins uh, of the whole world. Uh, and that blood sacrifice that was made in the very beginning pages of Scripture looks forward to the day when the Lamb of God uh, is going to be sacrificed uh, for the sin of the whole world and there's no other way to come to God but through the cross. But Cain fails to acknowledge that. He refuses to acknowledge the fact that he needs a sacrifice for sin and ultimately he failed to obey God because of his lack of faith. So he was rejected by God. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5 says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So God didn't respect, he respected Abel's offering, but he didn't respect Cain's offering. And Cain, Cain became upset because God refused his sacrifice. I want you to notice he's not repentant. He's just angry. He's angry that God won't accept him on his terms. My friend, there's a whole lot of people in our world today that are trying to dictate to God how he's going to have to accept them on their terms. And they're angry. They're angry with the church. They're angry with religion. They're angry, in many cases, with God because God won't accept them on their own terms. They want to dictate right and wrong. They want to dictate good and evil to the one who spoke the worlds into existence, uh, to the one who established the law by the might and the power of his own word. They think they can tell the lawgiver how things should be. But even in that arrogant state, even in that sinful condition, God's mercy still reaches out. To Cain, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Now when God asks a question, he, he's not necessarily seeking an answer. He already knows the answer. Amen? When God asks a question, you can mark it down, you can read through your Bible. When you find God asking a question, it's because he's inviting us to discover what he already knows. And so God is, the question is intended to cause Cain to consider himself, to recognize the error of his ways. So God follows the question with both an invitation and a warning. Reading from Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well... Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If you do right, God says, you'll be accepted. 
This is an invitation. It's an invitation to turn back. It's an invitation to go back to that place of worship and do what is right. Bring an animal sacrifice. Bring a blood offering. Do what you know you're supposed to do. God's saying there's still a place where mercy flows. There's still a way to get right with God. There's still a way to turn back to that place and do the right thing. God gives Cain the invitation to obey. It's an invitation to forgiveness. If you'll do well, you'll be accepted. If you do what's right, if you do what you've been told, everything's going to be all right. On the other hand, if you do not well, if you continue in the path you're in, sin is crouching at the door like a wild beast. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Either you do what's right our sin is going to eat you alive. God's dealing with Cain's heart here. He's, he's telling him there are two ways before you. One way leads to death, and one way leads to life. And even though Cain has already started down the wrong path, even though he's already on the path that leads to death, the mercy of God gives him an invitation to stop and think things through and change his direction and turn and do that which is right. One commentator said this is where the highway to the cross began to be built in the scripture. Here it was one lamb for one man. Later at the Passover it would be one lamb for one family. Then on the day of atonement it would be one lamb for one nation. And then at Calvary it would be one lamb for the entire world. And throughout the unfolding of God's amazing redemptive plan, one thing remains constant. It takes obedient faith to access the mercy of God. A man has to have a lamb, and blood has to be shed. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Amen. This is where the life of faith really begins. It begins in acknowledging that sin requires an atoning sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission from sin sin and Abel bows to that truth. Amen. The truth is he's a sinner. The truth is he's under the sentence of death. The truth is that God has designated a substitute for him. And the truth is that if he will bring a blood offering, God will provide forgiveness. And that's exactly what Abel did. But Cain, on the other hand, refused to obey the revealed will of God. But he cloaked his rebellion in religion. And he showed up in the presence of God with an offering that was different than what God required. That's the way of Cain. Cloaks rebellion in the trappings of religion. And says, I'll worship God my way. I'll do things my way. God will either accept it or he won't, but that's all he's getting from me. The first thing we learn about Abel in Hebrews chapter 11 and 4 is that he brought a more excellent sacrifice through faith because that was what God required. The second thing that we learned about him is that God himself testified that Abel was righteous. God didn't respect Abel 
for what was in Abel. He didn't declare Abel to be righteous because he was a better guy than Cain was. This is not about personality. This was not about character. This was not about one was inherently better than the other. God did not respect Abel because there was something inherently good in him. God respected Abel and declared him to be righteous because of his obedient faith. Because he believed God's revelation about the necessity of a blood sacrifice. And Abel was as much of a sinner as Cain. He was as wrong as Cain was. He was as liable to eternal judgment as Cain was. But he believed God and he obeyed God. And that faith was counted to him as righteousness. The other side of the story, of course, is Cain. Cain's given an opportunity to do what's right but he really has no interest in doing that. God is offering him mercy. God is saying, Cain, come, come again to my altar. Come again to my house. Come again into my presence. Offer the right sacrifice. Uh, exercise obedient faith. Uh, come again and do it the right way, and you will be accepted. But if you don't, then sin, which is crouching at your door like a beast, is going to devour you. And once again, Cain made the wrong choice. Genesis 4 and 8 says, And Cain talked with his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So first Cain talked with his brother. Perhaps he smoothed things over. Perhaps he pretended that everything was okay. But deep on the inside, sin was devouring him. That ferocious beast was eating him from the inside out. And one day when they were in the field together alone, when there was no one around to see the vile venom of hell boiled over in the heart of Cain, and in a fit of rage, he murdered his brother. He probably left that place in distress, trying to reason out, what am I going to do now? Left the body in the furthest corner of the field, hoping some wild animal would conceal the evidence, but he's trying to figure out, how am I going to explain to mom and dad? How am I going to cover up my atrocity? How am I going to hide the thing that I've done? But God interrupts his escape. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Now Cain's already a murderer. But now he adds lying to his growing record of sins. It's happening to Cain just like God said it would happen to him. Sin is devouring him. Amen. Sin always starts as a small thing. It always starts as one insignificant choice, but you have to know it never stops there. It multiplies until it affects every area of your life. Now, Cain lies, and he doesn't just tell a little white lie. He lies to the creator of the universe. He lies to the one who knows everything as if you could conceal the truth from God. And so in verse 10, the Lord said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. 
And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. In other words, you're, you're never going to be able to farm successfully again for the rest of your life. God's saying to Cain, you'll never show up in my presence again with produce as an offering because you'll never again reap a harvest of produce from this earth. It's not going to yield its fruit to you. You're going to be a vagrant. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be homeless, alone, a nomad. But you'll never get away from the thing that's chasing you. You'll never escape the guilt and the condemnation that will pursue you. Now watch Cain's reply in verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Even at this stage... As God passes judgment, there's no repentance. There's no shame. There's no acknowledgement that what he's done is wrong. And worst of all, there's no plea for forgiveness. One would think at this moment when the horrible judgment of God is revealed against him that Cain would cry out, is it too late? Can I come again to the place of sacrifice? Is the invitation still open? Can I try one more time? Can I get it right with you, God? But there's no repentance in Cain. I'm just going to stop right here and say this. When the rich man died and went to hell, the Bible said he implored the Lord to send an angel or a messenger to his brothers so they wouldn't suffer the same fate that he suffered. But the answer was if, he didn't, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they're not going to believe a messenger sent from heaven. The point is this. Even if at the point of entrance to hell, redemption was offered, sin so consumes the soul of a man that he chooses sin. That's what Cain does. Just before he's put out, as God is passing judgment, you don't think if he fell on his face and repented right here, right now, that God wouldn't forgive him. And make a way of mercy that if he shed the blood of a lamb, that it wouldn't cover his sin. But even at the point of judgment, he's not repentant. He, he shows no shame. He seeks no mercy. And finally, account, the account ends in verse 16 with these words. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Listen, disobedience will always take you away from the presence of God. It'll always take you away from God's house. Cain dwelt Nod to the east of Eden. I don't know where Nod is, but I know it's out of the presence of God. I don't know where Nod is, but I know it's a place where, where you can't feel God's grace, where you don't feel God's mercy, where, where you can't escape the, the guilt and the condemnation that hangs over you. Amen. And that's where everyone who walks in the way of Cain ends up, outside of the presence of the Lord. So that brings us back to our text. 
and my cough drop is gone, and I'm about to wrap things up. Somebody say amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice by faith. It was an obedient faith. It was a faith that was submitted to the will and the way of God. It's a faith that caused God himself to testify that Abel was righteous. He wasn't made righteous by his works. It wasn't the deeds that he did that made him righteous. It was his faith that made him righteous. Amen. The righteous deeds that he did arose from his faith. Everything he did was a result of his belief. Oh, my, my goodness, my goodness. I thought I was going to avoid that. Amen. Isn't God good? Say, God bless the preacher. I just got a few minutes left. Amen. It was his faith that made him righteous. It was his faith that compelled him to do the right thing. It, his actions were integral to his justification, but they weren't the cause of it. Ultimately, he was saved by faith, which always produces obedience. Amen. There's one final comment to make about Abel. There's not a single word recorded in Scripture that can be attributed to Abel. As far as we know, he said nothing during his life that was of enough importance to make it into the word of God. Yet the Hebrew writer says because of his faith, even though he's dead, he still speaks. Death, my friend. This is going to be a great funeral message one of these days. Death is never the last word for a righteous man because his faith keeps speaking. Though he is dead, the testimony of his faith continues to preach a message of righteousness obtained by the obedience of his faith. Amen. Oh, man, I'm getting reinforcements. I'm good. Y'all good to go for another hour? <laughs> Amen. Now I'll be preaching my own funeral. <laughs> y'all yeah, be saying, death isn't the last word of a righteous man. Amen. Here's the irony in the story. Cain thought that he had silenced his brother. Cain thought that he had stopped his brother's voice forever. But Cain couldn't be more wrong. Abel remains a preacher of righteousness to this day, declaring to all who read his story, if you want to come to God, you've got to come to God on his terms. You don't get to decide how you'll enter into a relationship with God. You don't get to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. God has established a place where mercy is poured out. God has established a means by which to obtain that mercy and the place is the cross uh, and the means is faith and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? So I implore you this morning to listen 
to a timeless sermon preached by a dead man. No, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just almost dead. You need the blood of heaven's only spotless lamb to cover your sins. Nothing else will do. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't make yourself righteous enough. You can't make yourself holy enough. You need the blood of the Lamb. There's no other way to salvation. There's no other way to enter into fellowship with God. There's no other way to make your life right with God. It starts at the cross. It starts with the shedding of blood. It starts in an altar of repentance where you are crucified with Christ. It carries you into a baptismal tank where you're buried with Jesus Christ. The scripture says buried into Christ. Amen. And it culminates in the infilling of the Holy Ghost where the spirit of resurrection and life enters into you. There is no other way. Amen. That's the message of Abel. That's the message of Hebrews 11 and 4. By faith. The kind of faith, we're talking about steps of faith because we're talking about living for God step by step. And the kind of faith that God requires from you is a faith that's obedient to what he said to do. It's a faith that acknowledges, I need you, Jesus, every step of the way. I need you, Jesus, every moment of the day. I need you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you'd come to a place to pray this morning. If you'd turn your heart towards heaven and would you tell him, Lord, I humble myself. We all have to come to his altar. We all have to come to his place. We all have to come under his command. We all have to come in submission to him. Amen. You can't approach God in arrogance. You can't approach God in self-righteousness. You have to come to God humble as a sinner and repent of your sins. You've got to bend your knees in his presence and let his blood and his mercy cover you. There is no other way that's the message that Abel still preaches today